In 2010, I got to go on the trip of a lifetime. At least it certainly was for me. It was a trip that um, caused me not to be able to sleep the night before because I was so excited. That's cool, isn't it? When you're an adult and you're so excited, it's like you're a kid, it's Christmas. And I was going with one colleague on a private guided tour to Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Greece, and Turkey. And so for a pastor, like it was all my Christmases coming at once. So I couldn't sleep. I had to be up early in the morning to get that regular flight. But um, it was so great. And um, I wanted to see where Jesus had been. And uh, with all the tourist stuff, it's, it's hard to get that vibe sometimes in that part of the world. But it was still amazing. It was amazing to travel from Egypt up through Jordan and see the, the route of the Promised Land journey aiming over for uh, Israel, for the people of Israel. And we had this private guide. We had a lady called Dina, and she was middle-aged, and she was a proud Zionist Jew, and she just loved her land. And when we were coming up from the Dead Sea, heading towards Jerusalem, we, uh, she stopped us off at a kibbutz. You guys know what a kibbutz is? It's an Israeli community who uh, live together for one another. It's a really cool little um, example of community. And uh, she stopped and showed us one of these, and she proudly said, and in saying so, she sort of put down the Turks. So I don't mean to put the Turks down, I'm just quoting Dina. She said, when the Turks had, um, had uh, dominion over this land, when, when they were in charge, this was all desert. They did not look after our land. But when the Jews came back, look what we have done. And she was really proud to say, we look after our land. And it, it was. Deserts had been turned into gardens and forests and farmland. So let me ask you a profound question if you have one. When was the last time you washed your car? Half an hour ago. Hey, wasn't you amazingly righteous? <laughs> well, here's one. When's the last time you groomed your pet? This morning. Very impressive. Cleaned the eaves. Maybe that's for this morning's um, question. Um, how's your garden if you have one? Rachel. Rachel Lee. <laughs> You don't have a you got a new guy. <laughs> the joke is that Rachel doesn't really like the outdoors as much. The question is, do you look after what you own in your life? The stuff that's yours, do you take care of it? Or are you careless? Tonight we're in the second message in the series, A Beautiful World, and this one's called Let Them Have Dominion. Last week, Christine was talking about the earth being the Lord's and everything in it, like a temple filled with God. There um, has been a bit of a, 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 a misnomer, a, a misunderstanding that sort of maybe originated from Aristotle when he said, the world is really all about mankind. It's all about humanity. And we're the centre. And Christians have sort of carried that on and made out as though, yeah, we've got a big job to look after it maybe, but really it's for us. And so if we trash the planet, it's okay. It's all going to be destroyed anyway. But Christine was making that argument last week from Scripture. Now the seventh day is the pinnacle of the creation event and God rested and it's all about Him. 
This creation's about him. That's why you can go a couple of k's into the sea and find those, those crazy fish with the lantern out the front and think, why do you live? Why are you there? And the answer? Because God wanted them to be there. God does stuff that people don't get to see. But he takes pleasure in it. And so this earth is about God, yet Christians, I mean, humans, not even necessarily Christians, from the start, human beings have been given this enormously significant task to steward all of creation, to have dominion over. So tonight, in the next 25 minutes, half an hour, we're just going to explore this simple idea. How true is it? that we're meant to have dominion. What would that mean for me in my little micro part of this big planet? Having dominion. Who's up first? We've got the first Bible reading is from Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Thanks, Robert. That's a really big passage. And the, one of the big ideas in it is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? That's a really big discussion. But if I turned up and I was clearly bearing the image of some being greater than me, you might um, well think that person is representing the one they look like, the ones whose image they bear. And that is the um, most standard way of understanding the image of God, that humanity has this image-bearing, representing, ambassadorial charge. We are to represent the Creator. Now, if you go back often, um, last week Christine was talking about it, but um, we have manuscripts and um, writings on rocks and all sorts of things from way, way back, ancient antiquity. So when the Bible's being written, they've also found, in the creation stories, they've also found ancient texts from the Egyptians and the Assyrians. And what they found was this idea of image-bearing wasn't completely unique to the ancient Israelites. So the Assyrians and the Egyptians, they talk about one, a king, who would represent the gods. So it wasn't the people, but the king would represent the gods. Now, when this is being written, the people understand that, and that's probably why we find language like rule over, which is a kingly thing to do, and subdue. So it's like Genesis is being found in context where people understand, yeah, kings are meant to, meant to represent the gods and rule over creation or in the world, uh, subdue it. But what we find in the Bible is this democratization of the charge. It's for all of us. So that's pretty interesting. You know, it's not just the king, but in the Bible it's saying, God has created it all, and you humans 
are very special and you bear his image and you are to represent him, subdue, rule over, have dominion over creation. No one's lost yet, are they? This is all pretty, like, standard. We've heard it before. In what fashion would we do that? How would we subdue? How would we rule over? How would we steward creation? Well, who's next? Psalm 104 is a great psalm to give us an insight into the way in which God does that very thing. If we know how he does it, that's that's how we should do it. Anyone want to come and read? Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You covered it with the, the watery depths, as with a garment the waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke the waters fled, and at the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains, they went down into the valleys, the place you assigned for them. He made springs pour water into ravens. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> it flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their, quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. His, he waters the, the fountains from his other chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the, from the earth. All creatures look to you to give them their food at, a, at, a, at the proper time. When you gave it to them, they gathered up. When you, when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. What sort of dominion do we see God exercising from Psalm 104? In response to this body book. It takes faith to actually believe that that really is God doing it because I read that and go, I think that just all happens naturally. But the psalmist is putting forward, no, there's a sovereign God who's behind it all. He's holding it together. Now, as we sit here, there's always a faith question. I don't know if I believe that or I do. That's a faith commitment. But let's say you believe tonight there is a sovereign God holding it all together. What sort of dominion does that psalm tell us he has? And I gave a great answer this morning. Nourishment. Like, yeah, he, he does this nourishment thing. What else comes to mind? It's ordered but abundant. <coughs> ordered and abundant. That's really cool. Yeah. What else? <coughs> Everything has a place, doesn't it? And things are thriving, they're nourished, they they're flourishing. That's the way God does it. It's like that the animals are looking up, going, oh, we're dependent. But you've made us independent as well. But, yeah, there's this beautiful synergy, the way it's obviously meant to be. So God does it like that. That's pretty special. And we've been asked somehow with this whole creative order, this planet, humanity's put, been put on there and we've been given this mandate to represent a God that leads like that. Well, how does he lead? This is something that, again, is pretty familiar to us. It's another reading. It's called from Matthew chapter 20. So I'd like to come in and read Matthew chapter 20. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why would you pick up papers that you saw littered around the place? Maybe because you like being clean? Maybe because you think someone might be watching? Because you walk past? Or maybe, as I was struck going to the toilet this morning, I saw all this stuff and I went, I've got a job to do here, look after the whole of the world. <laughs> be picking up those papers? It was just an interesting moment. Just, oh, Wait on, that's such a simple thing to do and it's on a concrete ground. It wasn't that inspiring. But it made me think, why don't I have a job to do in this micro, this little tiny bit? Because I'm being called to be a servant leader. If you and I are humans who lead the planet, how would we lead the planet? The way Jesus says to, as a servant leader. I used to work with a guy, it really struck me. He, he, sort of, he was an executive pastor at our church and he, and he managed the sports centre. We had a bunch of staff. And um, he was always, the other image I had was he, he was always holding his breath when they were drowning and propping them up. He was a great example of servant leadership. It's like he would go the extra mile, not just so that he looked good, but so that they looked good. And it's like, that is servant leadership, isn't it? I want to help you become all that you're meant to be. So how do we apply that idea to let them have dominion? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We're probably a bit familiar with it. Um, Genesis 1, we looked at a bit last week, tells the story of God creating everything from the formless waters and the void and separating the spaces and separating light and dark and creating space between land and sea. <coughs> and he puts life on them, these spaces, and uh, humanity comes on the sixth day and it's a wonderful thing. Let's look at the creation account from Genesis 2, 5 to 6. So if someone wants to come and read that, it's actually 5 to 9. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But just stop, so, you, you, sorry, sorry, you might be just vaguing out right now. There's something interesting here. Think of what happens in the first one, first chapter, and then listen to what is being said here. Could you start again? Not that you didn't read it badly, it was awesome. But could you read from verse 5 again? Because now they're going to listen. And think, wow. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So did you pick that up? It's a different viewpoint on the creation story. It's like there's a desert. Instead of the formless waters, it's like a desert. And God takes the dust and creates a man. And then he goes, in contrast to all this wasteland, desert, I'm going to create a garden. And he says, before, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So before any sin had entered, there was his job to do. There was this tilling of the ground. In fact, at the very beginning, what we just heard read, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. What's our job? To be what? What's the first job of human beings? Gardeners. Rachel. <laughs> it's in us. <laughs> Caretakers. Caretakers. So you see that rubbish somewhere and you go, you don't have to, I don't have to feel good from someone telling me, oh, it's Clean Up Australia Day. I just want to do it because I want to be part of fulfilling what God has asked me to do. Um, sin enters in chapter 3 and there's this terrible um, impact on the image that we have and on the garden and um, everything is hard. But can you see at the start, it's like God puts Adam in there and he's not right by himself so he needs even community and I think it looks like humanity is meant to grow and then the garden would expand as humanity works the ground and gets a vision for what the garden could look like out there. It sounds like Dina on the West Bank with the kibbutz, doesn't it? A vision for what you could do if you loved the space that was given you to look after. We had um, this really interesting Bible study based on the study that Scotty Higgins put out with this series. And um, I'm pretty sure we've got it up there. Have you got the Canticle of Creation? I think, it, I think I've got it. Yeah, let me read this to you. This is from the 11th century. Francis of Assisi came from a rich family, gave it all away, got in touch with God and creation, and he writes this prayer. Now, we asked our Bible study, what do you reckon about this prayer? And I'm asking you. You listen to it. See if it's okay. See if it sits all right with you. So this is a Hessian bag-wearing brother in the 11th century who did do a bit of self-flagellation. Forget about that. But um, He says this, Be praised, good Lord, for brother Sun, who brings us each new day. Be praised for sister Moon, white beauty, bright and fair, with wandering stars she moves through the night. Be praised, my Lord, for brother wind, for air and clouds and the skies of every season. Be praised for sister water, humble, helpful, precious, pure. She cleanses us in rivers and renews us in rain. Be praised, my Lord, for brother fire. He purifies and enlightens us. Be praised, my Lord, for Mother Earth, abundant source, all life-sustaining. She feeds us bread and fruit and gives us flowers. Where do you find that? 
I think more than half of our group was like, oh, I don't know, it sounds a bit new agey. It just sounds a little bit odd. How did you find that, hearing that prayer? You happy to use it? No, some, some shakes, okay. Put your hand up if you find that a bit odd. Nice, we're more conservative than the morning here. <laughs> and then as we discussed it, we started to think, what if, what if what he's really just tapping into is that we are literally all part of the created order. This is not suggesting like the Celestine prophecy, the old story of the New Age alternate religious movement that says that the rainforests sway and our hair does and we're all one. We're all one. We script our own destiny and God is us and we are God. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying pantheism, that God is in the trees. and We're not saying polytheism, multi-gods. We're not saying that. Um, but think about the creation story. All these things are made and we are made and we are not the creator, we are the created. And I think Francis of Assisi got this profound insight when he was barefoot walking through the snow and just like living off the grid because his father was a wealthy merchant and he pushed it all aside to devout poverty and he went out and he went, Oh, brother, son, thank you for the heat. I've been freezing all night. So it's a different way of perceiving. Shelter. Oh, I found something, some leaves that covered me. And he's engaging. And as we talked about in the Bible study, I think the best thing we came up with is maybe, maybe the created order around us are like siblings and we're the older sister or we're the older brother. We're more important. Yeah, we get it. Um, Jesus didn't come and fill an animal. He comes and fills humans. He became a human. We're immensely important. But, um, yeah, it's part of this journey. of thought, wow, are we connected? Yes, I think we are. Part of the created order with a job to do. Because we're the image of God. We're just coming to the end. This is really interesting. So, um, their sin really stuffs things up and Genesis 1 to 11 tells that sorry story of sin. And then Genesis 12 is the charge to Abram to begin the program of reclaiming what has been lost. And we studied that earlier this year. And uh, so someone would like to come and read out. This is the promise that God gave to Abram at the beginning of reclaiming his vocation to have a huge um, group of descendants who would then ultimately be part of solving the problem of sin and ultimately bringing them aside. So, anyone like to come out? Last one, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so wait there for a sec. That was perfect. Um, big word here is in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's been massive discussion about that word in Hebrew. And it means clans, ethnos, people, groups. It's like um, from that, people get the idea that we've got to take the gospel to every ethnic group who call us, us, and them, them on earth. 
But the word means families. The word means clans. So the blessing of God is to the clans of the world. Now, if you just read this last one. This is in Genesis 8, just after the flood. Just after the flood. Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his sons' wives Sorry, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Anyone pick anything up that's interesting? Same Hebrew word. It's tricky. It's hidden. I've never heard it before reading this book. It's the same Hebrew word there for go out and Abram... Um, obey my command, I will bless you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And a few chapters before, the same word for clan was used for the animals. Again, we are not saying we're the same. Humans are different to the animals. But wouldn't you agree, it's sort of interesting. There might be more connection than we think. Maybe the idea of seeing human um, of seeing life on earth more as a sibling or a cousin then something just to be used may be helpful what do you reckon I was reading uh, in Scott's book he has he quotes this um, the worldwide fund for nature's I know Scott pretty well and um, he is a challenging brother to hang out with. We went for an elephant ride together in Cambodia once and um, I used to talk to him about fishing because he loved fishing and he really challenged me. He said, oh, I never catch for just sport fishing. You've got to eat what you catch. Oh, really? He goes, why would you, you hurt a fish? Just for... And now you may not agree with that but I, that was the moment of a challenge for me when a guy says to me, are you, are you having dominion over that animal by your sport in a godly way, the way Jesus would? And you're like, oh, settle down, mate. You just, you, and that's what we always do, isn't it? We go, oh, you're going too far. And there is such a balancing act in this stuff that we're looking at. This is what he quote, The Worldwide Fund for Nature, 2016 Living Planet Index, shows that the number of animals living in the wild... I was born the 5th of January 1970. So in my lifetime, more than half the wild animals have disappeared. That's full on, isn't it? Like we are a bunch of hackers as far as gardens, looking after the planet. Surely the angels are up there going, oh, this generation at gardening, like at looking after. This is my generation, the 70s. We came through 58% between 70 and 2012 have disappeared. And the primary drivers for this are logging, hunting and overfishing and our massive need for space for our love of red meat and cattle. That's a big part of what this is all about. In the last 200 years, he says... Um, 
the figures show Australia has lost 75% of its rainforests and nearly 50% of all forests. You would wonder that we haven't actually worked out having trees to help us all breathe is a good thing. Um, you can check out your own statistics uh, and you can watch great shows for free on Netflix that will inform you, hey, we've all done it, haven't we? If you haven't, have a look at some of the amazing stuff that's out there. So how do we best look after our world? Does it matter if climate change is being caused by humans? Does it matter? The answer, obviously, is yes, if it is. I completely firmly believe it is. Um, maybe you don't. We don't have to argue about it. But my point to you is, what if we were? If we are doing that, that would be a major problem for a group of people who stand upright and have thumbs and image God and were given a charge thousands of years ago to look after the planet. Like, there's no place as a Christian to say, well, it's all been burnt up anyway. Who cares? Bring on the plastic bags. Bring on the... <laughs> fill the place with, with, with soot and smoke and whatever. Um, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I hate this animal-loving, tree-hugging stuff. It's just, I'm just not into it, right? That would be fair enough. Um, as I was preparing this message, I just had this burning image in my mind of a man in Syria. You may have seen it online, social media. He's in Syria. They've just had a bomb drop. He's got dead family around him. He's, in, he's just destroyed. And he's looking at a camera and he's just saying, can somebody help us? And then cynically, he picks up a cat who's wounded. And he says, there's a cat that needs saving. Come, you'll all come for the cat, won't you? Come for the cat! And I went, whoa, isn't there a tension between all of us going and joining the wildlife warriors when human beings are just being neglected? Does it mean we forget about the animals and go back to fundamental Christianity, right-wing America? Who gives a... No. No, we hold the two intention. Have you ever found that Christianity is about tension? Yes? It's about tension. If anyone sells you a, a pitch that says it's all one or the other, it's normally not right. There is a creative tension that we hold, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit of God for discernment in living. Amen? Like, honestly, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's really tough to make wise decisions when life is challenging. So there's a, there's a balancing act. And so when we think about um, our mission statement as a church, we want to love God. We want to get to know Him. How can we love God? We could look after what God loves. Well, that would be a good way to love God. How are we going to love others? Well, we're going to find out what their needs are, help out where we can, do whatever we can, and we could even help others that are sort of the different-looking siblings. Mainly we're trying to help others and look after human beings, but... Maybe we're looking after the planet in looking after others and, and making disciples. We want to teach the Word of God. But we also want to raise up whole people who love the stuff that God loves. That would be good. 